0: Now to the latest internet sensation. Nine. We are... Doo-doo-doo. YOLO! Eight. Can I
1: say hi? Hi! Seven. Well, I think
2: we need to stick to a plan. Six. by bullet. I don't even think Five. I have to react to that one. This Four. is Triple
0: M's Summer Breakfast. Go, with Seb Costello and Lawrence Marty. Triple M. AC/DC just rocked out Eddie Head Stadium last
3: night, Lawrence. And you're a little bit hoarse and a little bit deaf this morning. What was that? <laughs> Good one, Seb. Uh, now, original. You uh, you said and you promised that there's three things that you were going to tell me about this concert mm. that were very special indeed. Yeah. Did you go along with the beautiful Brie last yeah, night? Yeah,
0: Brie came along, so we were there. Uh, Eddie and Carla and the boys were in the row in front of us. Jane Kennedy was a few seats down. Oh, it's
3: a who's who of Melbourne. Rosie right there.
0: was there. I met Mister Rosie for the first time. Yep. At least I hope it was Mister
3: Rosie. He's a he's a rock star himself. Oh, absolutely, apparently. isn't yeah.
0: he? And I just come from work, so I was in the suit, which. Didn't quite blend in with the rest of the black t-shirt exactly wearing ACDC crowd,
3: and of course it was a suit that uh, had had a blowout earlier in the day, and you you sported that big rip in your in the <laughs> yeah, seat of your pants until right. eleven o'clock or around well, about lunchtime. I lunch might
0: have had the rock and roll ripped denim Lawrence, but yes. I had a suit pants with a big gash down the backside. One triple three five three. If you were at ACDC last night, or even if you caught them on Sunday, we want your reviews. At MMM Hot Breakfast is the Twitter at Seb Costello nine at Lawrence Mooney or one triple three five three. I want Angus Young's personal trainer.
3: Well, I think his personal training regime is pretty much dancing across that stage <laughs> night after night with that guitar because he works, doesn't he?
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely, and doesn't miss a beat. You know, he does his little hops. He's running up and down the stage. You know, the energy he brings, the way you know he can fill a stadium of. 30,000, 40,000 people. We'll have to check in with Eddie Had to see just how many people were there. But, yeah, I mean, there are some bands that you know struggle to crowd an atmosphere in Rod Laver Arena. Akadaka, Eddie Had isn't big enough
3: for those players. Is he still headbanging as hard as he used to? Because I believe that the headbanging has been ramped back a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, there's still a certain shake of the head. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And Brian Johnson's just as good, too.
3: Yeah, so his voice hung in there?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wasn't too much talk. In fact, there was very little talk between songs. And if I may, just a big congratulations too to the Hives who were on before ACDC in their beautiful looking, yeah, the lovely looking white dinner coats. The lead singer there on very good terms with himself, which is great, and that's what you want from a rock star, uh,
3: and they were really good too. <laughs> when you say on very good terms with himself, was he bigging himself up or uh, just slightly in love, you could tell? About s- a maximum of
0: 60 seconds went by without him saying, I love you, Melbourne, right. and you love me. <laughs> okay. It was a bit of me, 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 me about That's him. very important for yeah. a
3: rock star. So let's talk about the songs. Yeah, ones.
0: well, Back in Black was good, sort of five songs in. We then got – I my, personally, I think Thunderstruck got the biggest reaction of the night. Right. I reckon there was just a nice cheer when you heard the –
3: now, a band is always in that vexed position of saying, here's a song off our new album.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Did, and that we, was, did we have some
3: songs off the new album? Well,
0: we started with the song off the new album, right. with the rock or bus. So, you know, we were just happy to see them. So we gave them rock or bust. But mm. then, yeah, it was back in black. It was You Shook Me All Night Long. It was TNT. But I'll give you my top three things about ACDC last night, three things you need to know about ACDC just after Billy from Packingham. Were you there, Billy?
1: Mate, I was. It was just fantastic, mate. Absolutely
3: fantastic. I feel like I haven't been to bed, Lawrence. Did you go straight to ACDC, Lane to Tre- Cherry Bar afterwards oh, and go straight only. through?
0: Yeah, no, no, certainly not. Got a couple of hours in there. But ACDC, last night at Eddie Had Stadium, just had a terrific time. You know, if there was a roof, they would have blown the roof off. Let's go but to it, Ross at Narry Warren. Were you there, Ross?
1: Yeah, guys, how are you
0: What
3: would you make of it? Oh, it
1: was unbelievable. Like, the amount of... You know, the mixture
4: of people, like the parents and their young kids that were there, it was just unreal.
3: It's interesting that they've become a family act.
1: Yeah, look, you just, you know, at least some parents are bringing them up on some of the good stuff. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> good on you, Ross. Thanks for your call. Let's go to Sharon. Hi, good morning. Oh, you're a bit hoarse there, Sharon.
1: Yeah, just a little bit. And <laughs> hearing that song, that was my favourite of the night, what, the, the, the stage show with the lightning strike, was just brilliant. I think I sang every word. Um, I've had three hours sleep. I was put all again tomorrow. It was brilliant. And like the previous caller, I couldn't believe the range of ages.
0: Um, people just appreciating good old oh, rock and I was brilliant. Oh, you're a champ, Sharon. I see Sorry. that you're from Warrigal. Did you? So yeah. did you make the trip back last night after the show?
1: Yeah, it was great. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, And I'm
0: a teacher, and today we're doing silent reading. Good
1: on you,
3: Sharon. Silent reading today. And so we're probably talking about three generations standing there watching, you know, their second front man, Brian Johnson, who's just served his apprenticeship of 35 years. Uh, So it's quite an amazing Australian story the span of that band's history. Yeah,
0: it's just phenomenal. A few tweets coming through too. Sarah Louise went on Sunday night, sat on so many middle-aged men's shoulders. <laughs> it was an awesome concert. <laughs> Good on you, Sarah Louise. And Daisy says, Struggle Town, Population Me. An amazing concert. Got home at 1.30, have no voice left, but totally worth it. Good on you, Daisy.
3: So did they uh, high voltage? Did we get uh, high
0: voltage? Uh, yes, I'm pretty sure we did.
3: Highway to hell.
0: Uh you'll have to go with me, Hyphen. I didn't, I will admit I couldn't actually stay to the end.
3: Really? No, I couldn't. Because you've got jobs. Because, yeah, but yeah. so uh, I'll rely on hyphen for that one. So they they opened open the encore with Highway to Hell. Right, there you go. Yeah, so I mean, if we wanted to find a, a set list, there would be a million blogs that you could look up today to find the set list.
0: Three things you need to know about ACDC. Number three, at 60 years old, Angus Young. At 68 years old, Brian Johnson. 68? Yep. Absolute rock incredible. gods. incredible. Absolute rock gods, the two of them. That's the first thing you need to know. They gave it absolutely everything they we'll had. we give
3: them the golf clap. Well done, guys. That Second
0: thing awesome. you need to know is the lack of mobile phones during the show
3: was just so refreshing. So that's a generational thing, obviously. People are more in the moment. They're just watching it rather than maybe at the Taylor Swift concert coming up later in the week. There'll be a lot of screens out. In fact, everyone will be holding one, watching the concert through the screen they're holding, which is bizarre.
0: It's ridiculous. When Brian Johnson said, put your hands in the air, you mm. put your fist or you put the horns up for rock and roll, you didn't try and get a little photo on your iPhone. And it was great. I think, I
3: think it just makes the whole thing more enjoyable. Absolutely, it does. And you're never going to really look at those photos, they're not going to be quality, are they? No. Yeah, try as you might. And the third thing
0: you need to know, and our callers touched on it, so well done to Sharon, was just the diversity of the crowd. A kid uh, sitting to my left who would have been close to 10 years old who was rocking out in his chair. And as I left, I said to him, well done, buddy, keep that up. And his dad said, oh, he loves
3: it. Which uh, is a great contrast to the body slamming mayhem that would have been attendant in the early seventies at an ACDC gig <laughs> out in Strathmore.
0: Yeah, that's actually one of our tweets it says that last night was just as good as they were in the seventies at Strathmore. So good on you, Jolene, Lawrence. I'm reading that Tourism Minister Richard Colbank wants the states to consider translating their road signs into Mandarin to coax more Chinese tourists into Australia. Really. What is the Mandarin word for kooey rup?
3: Or <laughs> packing them? I would say the Mandarin word for kooey rup might be a roundabout kooey rup.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what changes we need to make to the signs then.
3: No, and. Uh... I mean, uh, we use a numeracy system, probably similar to their own. Mm. So, sixty k's is sixty k's.
0: I would like to see the Chinese characters for Udna Data, though. <laughs> I'm not quite sure if they've made the proper uh, the proper things that need to be done for well, that to be possible. Well, I
3: think there might be a sign salesman behind this push somewhere.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I reckon this is a really important cause that we can all get behind. Stop One Punch Can Kill was an organisation created by the friends and family of David Kasai, who was just 22 when New Year's Eve 2012 went horribly wrong as he returned from celebrations and got off a bus in Rye. Him and his friends were attacked by a group and, uh, One punch was thrown and David passed away soon after that. The man who threw the punch has been jailed for nine years, but that hasn't stopped his friends and his family from making sure this doesn't happen to anybody else. And it is such a noble and important role that they're playing. And joining us from the Stop One Punch Can Kill campaign is Katerina Politi, David's mother. Good morning. Good morning. You guys have come a heck of a long way from when this happened in, in 2012 to now. Congratulations on the work you've done. Thanks, Seb. Mm.
2: Yeah, we have come a long way. Um, We started this campaign two years ago um, out of the loss of David. um, And uh, we saw a need for change in our violent culture. It's escalating and we don't want, and I don't want any more senseless deaths. Um, You know, to, to not have David for Christmas and every other day of the year is still really hard. And If we can help save one family from going through that loss and devastation, um, then we've done our job, but we've got a long way to go.
3: And this is about raising consciousness that any level of violence can quickly escalate into something that ends up with tragic consequences. So that's a message you're pushing, isn't it? That no level of violence is acceptable.
2: Yeah, no levels. There's, um, you know, a a verbal threat, um, an innocent push, a punch – you know, that there's no acceptable levels and whether it's on the street, social violence and family violence, we know the tragedies, um, it, it shouldn't happen.
3: This sort of crime now, the, the single punch uh, or the coward punch, carries significant jail terms too and one of the judges in David's case said uh, a period of imprisonment in an adult jail might make people think twice before starting or joining in on a fight. So are you happy that the, the law and the judiciary have have, have made the, the penalties more severe?
2: I am happy and we we're really proud that the government introduced the new minimum 10-year um, sentence last year. Mm. Uh, that was a huge achievement. Um, but in saying that, there'll be another death for that to be used and we don't want that. Everyone's got to play a part. The court's sending a, a tough message, whether it's a you know, a, a crime of, um, reckless causing serious injury, which carries 15 years, you know, they've got to give a bit more. It's not sending a message of deterrence of real punishment. Um, but we just can't rely on the courts. We need everyone to play a part. Uh, yeah. the police, the media, which, you know, it, it makes our voice stronger.
3: And I suppose nipping it in the bud means, you know, keeping an eye on alcohol consumption. And also if you are part of a group of boys where, you know, the testosterone level and the bravado can start to escalate a little bit and you want to show off, there's got to be cooler heads in that group that says, hey, boys, settle down and, you know, keep a keep an eye on the volatile ones.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, everyone's got to take responsibility for their actions, number one, uh, what you consume, what you do, um, some people have started out with evil intentions, you know, it might not even be alcohol. They want to just go out and destroy lives. And that night David was killed. I, that was, I'm sure the case. Um, but you know, there's a group of mates look out for, you know, your mate, if someone's being silly, being a dickhead, um, rein them in. You you yeah. don't want to create, um, a, an incident, you know, diffuse a situation and also, it's not only for the perpetrator that if they consume too much, they can become violent. It's also the victim. You know, you go out and you party, you drink, you're not going to be expected to be ambushed. Um, but if you're tanked, you're going to not be able to react. No, you're um, going to be vulnerable. Exactly. You, yeah. So we want everyone just to be aware. Yeah, drink, do what you have to do, um, but be safe and sensible um, and be mindf- mindful of yeah. your situation. I think
3: Party Safe is a very good message to send.
0: And it's, yeah, it's just so brave of you to be here sharing your experiences and I would just implore people to support the campaign. Stop One Punch Can Kill. Check it out on the website. There's wristbands you can buy to support the campaign. Yep. What is the website,
2: Katarina? Uh, StopOnePunchCanKill.org and we've got some T-shirts and wristbands. Um, we also do presentations in sporting clubs and schools if anyone is interested in um, hearing our message. Definitely
0: a worthwhile message for football clubs. If you're president of your local footy club, look these guys up and and get involved with this campaign. Katerina Politi, the co-founder of Stop One Punch Can Kill, thank you for sharing some time with us on Triple M. Thanks for your time. And the former halfback flanker for Old Ivanhoe in the Fafa, Lawrence Mooney.
3: <laughs> Thank you very much. It's nice to be reminded of uh, what I was doing in 1984.
0: <laughs> well, mate, they finished third in Premier C this year, so they could have used you just coming off a flank.
3: Yeah, I was, a, I, I was one of those footballers that was um, too slow for my size. <laughs> so I had to match it with a lot of courage. You know, if I was bleeding by the end of the match, it means that I put in. And you were a halfback flanker yourself, Seb.
0: I was. For- I was... Uh,
3: For the Swinburne Razorbacks. Swinburne Razorbacks. Right
0: down in Division 4, which gives you an idea of what I could do. But no, I was telling you yesterday, my uh, theory or what I aspired to do was you get out of the huddle first, Mm. you suss out the two forward flankers, and the one that just looks a little bit more overweight than the other, you go to him and say, that's my man.
3: I'll take Danny DeVito (laughs) and... uh And you just stand off him for the rest of the game. Exactly. So, apart from those top sports stories, what else is happening <laughs> in overnight sports, Seb Costello?
0: Well, let's start with the cricket, where Kirtley Ambrose, the big six foot seven scare machine out of the West Indies, has been taking it to our batting lineup.
3: Excuse me for a moment there, but uh, Sir Kirtley Ambrose, um, a knight of the realm, no less. That's a and good you're point. giving him a diminutive old Kirtley, a bit <laughs> familiar. Um, <laughs> There's, there's quite a few knights amongst the former West Indians, isn't there? Because there's Sir Vivian Richards, of course, but we don't seem to be knighting our cricketers as much anymore. Mm, yes. oh, when was the last one? The Don. Yeah, probably. The one and only. Yeah. Was Keith Miller a knight? I don't think so. No? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> he was very close to the Royal Family, I think though. the Royal Family would have read his rap sheet and said, maybe not, Keith. <laughs> well, anyway...
4: Sir Kirtley Sir said about
0: us. Sir thinks that we're a little bit soft if, if and if the Windies can knock over some of our more high-profile batsmen, they'll be right in this.
1: If you can nip them out pretty early for not too many runs and get into the middle as quick as possible, I still believe that the middle order. Force is not that solid at the moment.
3: Now, there's a great sporting tradition of not giving the opposing side anything to hang their hat on, you know, to be uh, motivated by. So if I was Joe Burns or Adam Voges or the Marsh boys, there's plenty there from Kirtley that says, yeah, OK, well, the uh, the challenge has been thrown down. So it's time to to make Kirtley eat his words down in. Tazzy. Imagine being
0: at the crease and seeing Curtly Ambrose who released the ball from 10 feet in the air at the mm. apex of his hand and have it just steaming towards you.
3: And he was always a little bit angry. Oh, yeah. A lot of those West Indians were holding, <laughs> just staring, very sinister. Death looks at you. So uh, when does the test start, Seb? Tomorrow. Tomorrow? Down
0: there at Belle Reve. And Josh Hazelwood says he's going to be okay despite the body taking a bit of a battering over the summer. Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously depending on on how much I bowl um, throughout, throughout these next couple of games. But, yeah, there's there's another decent break after this game. And then um, the hardest ones are probably the last two um, back-to-back. So, no, I'm feeling pretty good at the moment and hopefully it stays that way. And we need him out there with the retirement of Mitch Johnson, the injury to Mitch Stark.
3: And uh, it's been a pretty good season so far or summer so far for the Australians. So I think that we'll probably carry that on down in Belle Reef tomorrow.
0: Bit of cash-up for grabs too. If we can... Absolutely smash the Windies, back it up by beating New Zealand early in the new year and if the Poms can do us a solid by keeping the South Africans at bay, we can get to the top of the test table by the cut-off point of April next year, which would mean that we win the International Cricket Council's Test Championship mace and with it a $1 million cheque of which the players are entitled to a 20, 26% share of around 360000 So there's cash in it. Not a bad
3: windfall at all. Mm.
0: And, I mean, Cricket Australia obviously rewards the players quite well, but a little bit of extra help from the ICC doesn't go astray.
3: There's a lot of money in cricket now, though. I mean, it's not like the bad old days before Packer when they were getting absolutely nothing. And Jeff Thompson would say, you know, we'd want to wind it up around about day three so we could at least have some money to drink with. <laughs> <laughs> We're joined by uh, a man from the Australian Medical Association, and I- I've prompted uh, this call, Said because um, my daughter has got a mild form of whooping cough at the moment. Gee, that's not good. It is no good at all. This is um, Maggie? This is Maggie. Yeah. She is three years of age, and uh, we took her to the doctor yesterday. She's had, had a swab, and uh, the doctor said there's four children from that practice who have been diagnosed with it. One was a 10-month-old baby. Um, and then speaking this morning to our newsroom, there's a, a practice uh, that said that 30 kids in one school have been sent home with whooping cough or gastro. Now, I I'm, I'm, want to talk about whooping cough because it's a highly uh, contagious, infectious disease that can be wiped out through Im- immunisation. And it's still around because people refuse to immunise. So that's why we're speaking today to Dr Tony Bartoni from the Australian Medical Association. Good morning, Doctor.
4: Good morning, Lawrence.
3: Now, am I right in my assertion that this is a an infectious disease that can be wiped out through immunisation?
4: You most certainly are. It is easily uh, manageable if everybody does their bit and uh, immunises their children and also makes sure that their immunisation status is up to date.
3: Now, one of the arguments from the anti-vaxxers, as I'll call them, is that, well, if uh, an immunised child got, gets whooping cough, you know, what's the point of getting immunised? So uh, how, do you, how do you counter that argument?
4: Look, it's, it's all about ensuring that the most vulnerable in the community will not suffer the dreadful consequences if they were, did have an epidemic infection. By controlling the number of susceptible people in the population, you can reduce outbreaks to minimal, if not completely eradicate them it's ensuring that everybody is best protected even if you did get the uh the infection and you've mm-hmm. been immunized you modify the type of infection you get and it's certainly not going to be especially in that newborn period of up to six months where it's really highly highly dangerous if not even fatal right so it's um, potentially
3: and, lethal and so yeah,
4: absolutely
3: for a 10 month old baby to get it at the practice that i went to, as she's been diagnosed, the immunisation will mitigate the uh, the symptoms?
4: Well, the immunisation will more likely prevent her having got it in the first place. But if she did, unfortunately, didn't continue to get, be exposed to it, it would really change and modify the course of the illness, to, to uh, certainly to any, nowhere near as dreadful as it is. You only need to see the video of a child with whooping cough oh. once horrible how horrible and how dreadfully uh, challenging it is to the poor individual
0: we're talking to dr tony bartoni from the australian medical association tony we're told the anti-vaccination lobby is a pretty small percentage of the population but in the medical community are you seeing any evidence or research that shows that it's having a negative impact and what i mean by that is that the proliferation of this sort of view is actually increasing the number of cases of diseases that we thought we'd gotten the hold of
4: Well, if we just look at notification data over the last seven to 10 years, the number of cases of whooping cough has been continually on the rise. So there's just some anecdotal evidence to say that society has not, as a whole, has dropped its vaccination levels to to an ability to have uh, epidemics. But also we know that we've, get, we've, as doctors, we've been asked to sign conscientious objection forms and you try and counsel the, the, the person and try and dispel the myths that often underpin their desire to not be vaccinated. Right.
3: And those myths include increased incidence of childhood cancer, increased diagnosis of autism and potential death. And I believe all of, all three of those things are just fallacies.
4: Absolutely. Um, the autism in particular is one which got a, l- a lot of running um, early in this century and late last century and has been proven that the the, the uh, evidence and the research was absolutely, was even falsified.
0: Dr Tony Bartoni from the Australian Medical Association, thanks for joining us.
4: Absolutely a pleasure, thank you.
0: When you played for the Waters or even the old Ivanhoe in the VAFA, <laughs> Did You're you... <laughs>
3: obsessed with my very average football career.
0: Did you ever skip of the side or arise into the leadership group?
3: Uh, it, at Old Ivanhoe, I was part of the leadership group. The coach would often put his arm around me and use me as an example of courage. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, blowing smoke up my own here. But I was, I was a courageous footballer. Because I had nothing else to give.
0: Can you give us an example of where you really cracked in one day?
3: <laughs> yeah, against uh, Williamstown, <laughs> there were some big boys played for Williamstown, and I and I took it on. I think I was sent off that day. Really? Yeah. Mm. Did you? I was being mocked as I went to the boundary, almost in tears <laughs> by the Williamstown boys. I was a very emotional player. I was like I was like a Tony Liberatore senior. It's an emotional game, footy. Did you belt somebody? Probably. <laughs> fantastic. I've actually got a tweet from my old alumni, the mighty Swinburne
0: Razorbacks, who have said 2016 is the year of the pigs, so let's hope so. at least I do anyway.
3: That's great. The Razorback, which is a very common indigenous animal around (laughs) Swinburne.
0: Down at the St. James Park, down there in Hawthorne, it is very much so. Did you ever captain the side yourself? Uh, No, I didn't quite arise to those sort of lofty... We had a very strong leadership group down there at the pigs in my time there. (laughs) So I was very happy to just serve. I was a bit like you too, Lawrence. I... Didn't have much to give on the field Running Didn't slowly much to off a halfback <laughs> flank Didn't have much to give in terms of courage But did I bring some yap? Yeah. to the field. Oh, yeah. I was a bloke standing at half-back if we needed to get that goal in the last quarter. Come on,
3: Pigs. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> get,
0: get around us. You would run
3: the length of the field to join in a celebration. <laughs>
0: yeah, <that's>, to just <laughs> high-five the bloke who's kicked a goal and then I'd be absolutely out of wind jogging back to the half-back flank.
3: Just to bathe in the glory. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Well, leadership, the reason I asked this question the long way around is because mm. there's a bit of discussion about leadership at AFL level. Brendan Bolton, the new coach of Carlton, ruffled a few feathers by saying that he had an open mind as to who the next captain of the Blues should be. And Mark Murphy, who has been captain of the side since 2013, responded yesterday.
3: I'd love to, to lead this footy club. It's, um, it's a terrific honor to, uh, to be captain of the Carlton kind of Footy Club and um, been, been through some tough times and hopefully we can start turning that around. Mark Murphy is the best man to Captain Carlton. And I would have thought that the modern trend with a captain is to have someone who's a senior player uh, and have a bit of tenure and longevity there. So you've got that stability at the top and you think, you know, Gary Ablett Jr. up at uh, Gold Coast, Joel Selwood, uh, Joe Watson, you know, you want someone there that is a true leader. And I think that Mark Murphy is that man.
0: He's not Chris Judd, but he's never going to be. He's an All-Australian. He's a best and fairest. He is a really nice bloke. And he is the best person to captain Carlton, in my opinion. They need to stay there. One triple three five three. Want to hear from some Blues fans who you would like to see captain the Blues? One triple three five three. Give us a bell. Hit us up on Twitter at MMM Hot Breakfast. And it's all well and good to say, oh well, Mark
3: Murphy needs to be moved on as
0: captain or what have you. But who do you put in in his place?
3: Exactly. And uh, he's obviously a man committed to the club. He's going to play out his his career there. So I would give it to him and and you alluded before that uh, he's not Chris Judd and that's why a lot of people have been critical of Mark Murphy over the journey.
0: Mm. I mean Bryce Gibbs is great so is Cade Simpson but you know Cade Simpson again tends to play off a half back flank mm. gives him a bit of run possibly a bit unaccountable at times, but that's the, the role he's asked to play, certainly not criticising Cade Simpson. But you got Mark Murphy, who's a guy who throws himself in at the coalface, getting belted around constantly, and that's the perfect position for him to be there lifting the Blues. And it's a rebuilding
3: period. You do need a yeah, bit of stability. Absolutely. There's been a lot of flux at Carlton, both in the coaching and management areas and uh, also amongst the playing group. So... I'd say give it to Mark Murphy.
0: We'll take your calls after this. Also, a bit of discussion about whether Matthew Pavlitz should be making way for Nat Fife at Fremantle. We'll hear from Fife after this. Johan joins us from Donvale.
1: Hello, how are you going? Uh, I love your show, boys. Um, I I think Murphy should stay captain and uh, Bryce Gibbs should be vice, you know? (laughs)
0: Thanks for your call, Johan. I agree with you. I think Mark Murphy is the best place person to captain Carlton, especially as they go through a rebuilding and they need consistency. And
3: they've had some great captains across the years. Absolutely. And some iconic captains Chris Judd, Stephen Kernahan. And uh, who can forget Stephen Kernahan's leadership style <laughs> and also his great singing ability? Remember Stand By Your Man? Have you ever heard him sing this? Let's have a listen to Steve Kernahan. To just one man.
5: (laughs) Stand by your man and tell the world. Do you love him? That is
3: leadership. That is a leader. Sticks
0: won't like that, Lawrence. I didn't endorse the playing of that. <laughs> Sticks will not like that.
3: Well, what's he got to be ashamed of there? He is a legend. Wonderful
0: voice. He, you know what the funny thing is? the Standing right next to him, of course, in that uh, image after they won the premiership in the late 80s, is a man who would later become a minister of uh, the crown for Her Majesty in Justin Madden.
3: Of course, yeah. yes. In the in the upper house. Indeed. In Victoria.
0: Fiona joins us from Ferntree Gully. Morning, Fiona. Are you a Blues supporter?
1: I uh, certainly am.
0: What's your thoughts on the captaincy? Uh
2: definitely Mark Murphy. I think that's what the, the club needs at the moment—is a bit more stability, and uh, he's definitely the right guy for the job. He's a lovely bloke too. Certainly
0: is. Yeah, good on you, Fiona. Thank you for your contribution
3: a there. A l- lot of Blues fans calling in. Yeah, they're—I they're, uh, think they're up and about again. But of course. Aren't we all in yes, the summer? Yes, the Bombers got We all got a dare new coach to dream. Too. That's right. We're Here back. we go. <laughs> we
0: didn't get Acker. Probably a good thing. Uh, and one last point I want to make, Lawrence, is that also a little bit of discussion of movement at Fremantle. Of course, Matthew Pavlich suggesting he will play on next season. There's a bit of thought to whether it might be time to hand it on to Nat Fife. Here's what Fife had to say to that. Pav's been part of the club since I've been there and and his leadership uh, and his his playing ability is something that we really value and look forward to having this year.
3: Well, I might contradict myself here uh, because I was talking about stability and senior players being in charge, but Pav... Was alluding to the fact that he was going to finish after the finals and then has gone on for one more year. I reckon it should fall to Nat Fife now. Absolutely. It's a succession plan that I salute.
0: He's a skilled player. He's got Mooney like
3: courage and attack on the ball. And he's got Un Mooney like skills (laughs) and good looks. And also, his speech at the Brownlow that spoke more about the community and about uh, this, you know, him sharing in something greater than the individual. I think he's a a fine young man. That doesn't that sound old? He's a good he's a good young man. But I think he is. I love him. And last year, Lawrence, I think there was a sense of national
0: satisfaction when a jury of peers of Jared Bade and Clay found him guilty of murder. We'd all been through the details of what went wrong in that marriage and also what led to her death and her discovery of her body near a creek bed. And there was, as I say, a satisfaction. Yesterday that satisfaction was smashed. When judges overturned the jury's decision and made a judgment that downgraded Mr. Baden Clay's murder conviction to manslaughter and given and has given him the option of appealing that manslaughter charge, which may see him get out of prison a lot earlier than we expected him to.
3: And potentially only serve three and a half years for the death of his wife.
0: It's hard not to be unsettled by this. David Murray joins us on the line. He is the Crime and Courts editor from the Courier Mail and also wrote The Murder of Alison Baden Clay, a book on the case and the original trial. David, thanks for your time.
1: Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me on.
0: David, we're staggered by this. I would like I... you to, I guess, explain to us what Mr. Baden Clay said during trial that was then completely contradicted as part of his appeals argument.
1: Uh, yeah, and I will, and uh, I mean, at uh, first in your intro, I think you are absolutely right that there was a real sense of satisfaction. I think when um, the jury came back with a verdict last year, in July last year, after a five-week trial, uh, days of deliberation, um, obviously a very en- enormously uh, stressful time for everyone, but they came back with this verdict. They they found Jared was guilty of murdering his wife. And there was a real sense that justice was done. I think you absolutely nailed it there. That, that's exactly how everyone felt. And I think it was the complete opposite yesterday when the jury's verdict was just thrown out um, and that they were told they weren't entitled to come to that conclusion, that he was guilty of his wife's murder. So um, and basically... The, on yeah, what grounds
3: has it been downgraded to manslaughter, David?
1: Well, it's, it's um, basically... Uh, the difference, as as you mentioned, between what Jared said during his trial and what his lawyers suggested uh, during his appeal was that during his trial and and in fact right up to this day, Jared has denied having any involvement in his wife's murder whatsoever. He says he has no idea what happened to her. He told the jury that for four days mm. he was asked uh, you know countless times uh, whether he knew what happened to Alison. and his story and and this has been since from day one was that he had no idea she simply vanished from our home. But in the appeal, um, we heard this scenario, and still there was no admission, but basically they argued that that verdict was uh, unreasonable because um, the, the prosecution hadn't established, uh, beyond reasonable doubt, um, that he intended to kill his wife. And intent is a key component of the murder charge. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, what the Court of Appeal found was that, yes, um, they agreed that uh, there was this other reasonable hypothesis that he had been in in an argument with his wife, which is how he managed to get scratches all over his face, and that um, he had unintentionally killed her. Uh, Therefore, the the murder uh, verdict couldn't stand and it had to be substituted with manslaughter. Um, The problem, of course, is that he, he says there was no argument
0: how can it be, David, and your journalism on this is first class, this is probably a legal question, so bear with me on it. But how can it be that this man can be found guilty of manslaughter on a set of circumstances spelled out by his lawyer that he actually hasn't admitted to or endorsed? It's it's a hypothetical situation that has allowed him to get off a murder charge.
1: And not only that, and told the jury point blank that that never happened. It just didn't happen. He so, told them, he told the police, he told everyone for more than two years up until his trial, that it didn't happen. Um, but what the Court of Appeal does is they say, OK, we'll ignore all that. Um, and, uh, you know, following the law, we will um, examine, the, examine the case ignoring that he said all of that. And we have to leave open the possibility that that happened, even though he's told the jury well, I have uh, the, that, that, it, that it didn't. That, that
3: beggars belief, David, and I have to endorse the front page of the Courier-Mail today, which was just blacked out with the words, the law is an ass on it. And uh, I've got to agree with that wholeheartedly. It makes no possible logical sense that they ignore his denials and then reinvent another scenario. Like Seb said, it's hypothetical stuff.
0: Yeah, it's ridiculous. You can read more from David Murray in the Courier Mail today. You can also do your homework on the case itself with the murder of Alison Baden Clay. David Murray, thanks for your time. Thank you. It's staggering.
3: It's an injustice. A A woman has lost her life. She's been killed. Uh, they've changed it from murder to manslaughter. That doesn't change the circumstances. And uh, this bloke's going to walk, walk free a lot earlier than he should. Lawrence, it's Christmas. Santa's checking uh, his list. He's checking it twice. Mm. He wants to see who's been naughty and who's been nice. Have you been a good boy this year, mm,
0: Seb? <laughs> <laughs> depends who you ask.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, and what uh, the criteria yeah. for good is. Mm. Very good. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, where, is the, where is the line drawn? Mm. And uh, do, you, do you write up a list now and uh, put it in the box in the city square? I think it's nice to take the kids in there to put the, the Christmas list in.
0: Will you take Maggie when she feels a bit better?
3: Well, she is right in the prime Santa position. Right. You know, she's about to turn three. She's entering into the whole world. She understands Santa. She sees him often up at the shopping centre. Um, we've got her closer now. You know been racked with fear a couple of times last year she visited Santa and couldn't face it and this year I've gone over to talk to Santa and then she's come over and I said Santa we're um, doing this step by step we're not coming in to get the pixie photo just yet, but uh, we're just having a pleasant conversation to melt the ice. And he goes, yeah, I get it. He, goes, <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, Lawrence, would you like a high five? <laughs> and I said, I oh, sure would, Santa. And Maggie's like, I want one of those too. So, yeah, she's she's being lured into the whole Christmas spirit. So we've been asking her what she'd like for Christmas from Santa. And uh, the other night she said to my, my wife, Lou, I'd like – Mum, to put a baby in her tummy for me this Christmas—that's a big ask. That is a big ask because I don't know whether Santa could do that. <laughs> There's a joke in there about Santa's sack, isn't there? but we will keep moving and coming down the chimney. But um, I, I think it's a great little what a wonderful suggestion in in terms of you know the spirit of the season and it's all about hope and renewal and the birth of a, a child. I think that Maggie saying, I want a baby in mummy's or I want a mummy to put a baby in her tummy for Maggie for Christmas is not a bad idea. So I think I've had my orders. I thought, uh, cause we've been so debating daddy it for a while. So daddy thinks that it's a good idea well, for mummy to put a baby in her a, tummy. A man really never has any say in this department. Mm. It's up, it's up to a woman to pull up stumps and say, yep, we're done. Did, did this actually happen, or
0: are you just putting this on Lulu? None. No. Try and get a bit of Christmas love for yourself.
3: You've made this whole I thing made this story up. up. You've been
0: in the cold just for three to months. get some special cuddles.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, this is not some elaborate plan. This is Lou telling me that this is a story. Maybe it's her. Um, but, but I think that uh, 2016, and you know, uh, God and Gaia and all things willing, it might be uh, another baby on the scene. That's I don't want to preempt these things because you can put a lot of pressure on, but mm. uh, Maggie's requested one and, you know, how are you going to turn down a child for Christmas? Now you are going to step up? Yes. Gee, well, I, I didn't realise that it was going to go into a biological area so quickly. I thought it was a sweet Christmas story about what my daughter had requested. But, of course, there's some fundamentals at play here, isn't there?
0: There is. This is very cool. We're joined by the Olympic gold medalist, the swimming superstar of Beijing, Steph Rice. Good morning.
5: Morning,
3: g'day, Steph. Um, hey. First of all, I want to talk about the life-changing event in your life, and that is winning Celebrity Apprentice. <laughs> what an awesome achievement! Forget gold Thank medals you. at Olympics. Uh, how's oh, it yeah, changed your life?
5: Um. Well probably not in like a super dramatic way, but um, the experience of going on a show like that and, and working alongside some other teammates and then winning it and having, I guess, Mark Boris give me the tick of approval mm-hmm. was really awesome. Um, it, it actually holds a lot of weight in America because I'm living there now and they obviously know the show based on Donald Trump. And so to have said that I won the Australian version, it, it resonates with them. They understand right. it. So it's, it's helped me a lot in the US.
0: Speaking of you being over there in the US, Tell a little story about, I was out at the Channel 9 News Chopper, which I was part of my job as a journo, and I saw Ricky Ponting get on a helicopter and he was being flown to a very famous Australian millionaire's farm to give his grandchildren cricketing lessons. And I read (laughs) you may be doing a similar thing when it comes to swimming, maybe looking after some high profile trainees.
5: Yeah, but I can't say I've been offered the helicopter ride yet. (laughs) Jeez, what's going on? I need to up my game. Um, Yeah, no, I've been uh, able to work with some high-end celebrity clientele in the States giving their kids lessons, and it's been such a great um, exposure for me. And also just uh, I love working with kids.
3: So you don't mind uh, being around the chlorine still? Because some swimmers, they walk (laughs) right away from it after they retire. It's not the chlorine.
5: It's the wet hair. Like seriously, (laughs) if they invented something that would never get my hair Wet, I would be in there every day.
3: Now, Steph. Speaking of uh, swimmers who have uh, walked away from it, Liesl Jones' book Body Lengths came out just a couple of weeks ago with some very explosive revelations about the uh, conflict that you two had. Um, what? What? How did you respond to that?
5: Well, I didn't respond, <laughs> <laughs> um, and honestly, it was the best thing that I could have done. Um, there was, I think. a I mean, I haven't read the book, so I can't really say what it is. But I've heard from, you know, a number of other teammates, there was not a lot of nice things said about a few people. So at least I wasn't the only person. Um, But honestly, I just really don't care. Like, um, I feel like I'm being super honest and open, but um, it just doesn't hold any importance to me in my life. It's not what I value. I don't really care to get into a bitch fight. I don't really care to talk negatively about other people. And so, yeah. Yeah.
0: There you are. Hey, um, you mentioned the uh, the wet hair is something that you know you you you're not missing from your days as a as a elite athlete. How do you do your exercise these days? Is it in the pool?
5: Um, I still do a little stuff in the pool. Um, but I, not super often. I do a lot of cross training. Um, I do a lot of yoga, Pilates, mm. weights, whatever I really feel like. I try not to be too restrictive and have too much of a routine.
3: Now today we're talking about the greatest degree on earth. The Tell greatest us about this degree on earth. What is it?
5: Well, it's such a fantastic opportunity for students that do go to the um, Think Education and Torrens University campuses, or for people that are wanting to apply. Um, essentially, they're picking four winners, and each of them have the value of around eighty grand, and you can design your own. Uh, course based on um, that funding if you were to win. So, for example, if you wanted to be a fashion designer, you could say that as a part of my degree, I want to go to New York Fashion Week. I want to be personally mentored by Diane Von Furstenberg and then have an internship at the end of my degree. And that all kind of comes into that whole, you know, dream and think big and, and life experience and connections and networking. And I think it's a, such a fantastic opportunity for students to do something a little bit different than just having a certificate at the end.
0: And And good for you for getting behind it. And Steph, thank thank you you for having a chat to us this morning.
5: Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it.
0: As we speak, the Chief Commissioner of Police, Graeme Ashton, along with the head of the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission, Kate Jenkins, are detailing... An explosive report into sexual harassment within the Victoria Police Force. 5,000 members were interviewed as part of this, and here is the press conference.
1: The finding was that the experience lifetime for women within Victoria Police is uh, 40% of women have experienced sexual harassment. That compares with the average community experience of 33% and the experience in the ADF of 25%. So while it's a community-wide issue, it's definitely... an issue for Victoria Police. The
0: voice you heard there was Kate Jenkins, the head of the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission.
3: So it's a disproportionate level of sexual harassment within the Victorian Police Force and the Chief Commissioner, Graham Ashton, is addressing that. He's a man that uh, really appeals to me, he's, he's plain talking, he doesn't look like a political animal at all, he looks like he's a, a proper cop that wants to get the system cleared and the systemic sexual harassment out. If you want to read some very disturbing testimony on this, on pages four and five of the Herald Sun today is testimony from female and male officers. Um, One of these bits of testimony is from a male officer. The sergeants are like gods of the probationary constables. They are young and vulnerable the young girls are eager to please, and they are looking up to the sergeants, so it's like Christmas to a predator. And all sorts of predatorial behaviour is outlined in this damning report.
0: 19 degrees, on the way to a top of 24, tomorrow on Triple M Summer Breakfast, Scott and Alex Pendlebury. That'll be awesome.
3: The Pendle boys are in. Mick Malloy. We're going to welcome back Mick. He, uh, was all... Did he go to ACDC last night? Ooh, I didn't see him there. Right. He may have been. He may have been. At the have been in a special roped off section.
0: Funny you mention it, Actually, I was. You know, people obviously know who Eddie is. They know who Jane Kennedy uh, is. They don't really know who I am. So I can. Well, could they hear do now the with blokes... your raised
3: profile on uh, <laughs> National Nine News and the fact that you're going around yesterday with split pants. Well,
0: that's become true. your signature. But I was overhearing a conversation behind me where there were two blokes, big ACDC fans. They were saying, "Oh, yeah, there's Jane. That's great. There's Eddie. That's great. This, this must be the Triple M section. Where's Mick?" Probably at the bar. Right. So there you go. That was their take on it. And Mark War as well the great Australian cricketer to talk about the first
3: test. Now, before we go today, yeah. um, I'm, I'm obviously becoming obsessed with your outfits, uh, Seb. What are you wearing on your feet today? Because some people have said it's a slipper. I've been as kind as to say it's a canvas kind of a boat <laughs> shoe. Uh, it looks very Yacht Rock. What are you calling it? Uh, it's very comfortable.
0: It? Um, it's. Oh, I think it's just a little slip-on loafer. That's a loafer. Sockless slip-on (laughs) loafer. But, no, the reason, I'll I'll tell you why I bought it, just Mm. to make, if anybody is throwing off at them, they are toms, and so every pair of toms you buy, the company donates a pair to a child in need in the third world.
3: Oh, there you go. It's an excellent defence for wearing a very suspect (laughs) shoe. (laughs) (laughs) You're helping kids in the third world.
0: We'll be back tomorrow, Seb Costello and Lawrence Mooney on Triple M. From St. Kilda B.